Hey, everybody, it's Josh Barrow back with another episode of Serious Trouble. This week's episode is lawsuits on top of lawsuits, like Rudy Giuliani being sued by his attorneys for not paying their legal fees, and Hunter Biden suing the IRS for making disclosures about his tax information, the same tax information that could lead to criminal charges against him. Those are the topics we cover in this week's free episode of Serious Trouble. If you also want to hear about Sam Bankman-Fried, whose parents are now being sued by the FTX bankruptcy estate uh, and all the trouble that they've gotten themselves into as a family and even some trouble touching Stanford University. If you want to hear about that and you want to hear about Donald Trump, Jack Smith is looking for a significantly broader restriction on what Trump is allowed to say about the January 6th criminal prosecution that he's brought against him in Washington, D.C., probably too broad a restriction uh, in Ken's view. We talk about that. We talk about Alina Haba, one of Donald Trump's attorneys, going on national television and saying it's not hard to prepare for all these trials, doesn't take a lot of time because he didn't do anything wrong. That might be awkward in cases where Trump is asking for more time because he needs time to prepare, even even when his attorneys have a good argument for that. If you want to hear all those conversations, go to SeriousTrouble.show, upgrade for $6 a month or $60 a year. Uh, You'll get that full episode. You get every full episode of the show that we put out, which is about 50 episodes a year. And you'll be helping to make this show possible. It's because of listeners uh, who are supporting us directly that it's possible for Ken and Sarah and me uh, and Jennifer to get together every week to make this show for you. So uh, I really encourage you, go to SeriousTrouble.show and upgrade and listen to the whole thing. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Ken White. And it's Josh Barrow, and this is Serious Trouble. This is kind of a fun potpourri week. I'm seeing, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of new lawsuits that are side lawsuits to existing lawsuits, people getting sued over things related to what they're getting sued over. Yeah, it's kind of spin off. like a Russian doll. Right, yeah. or, or like Maud and all the family and that type of thing. <laughs> uh, why don't we start with Rudy Giuliani? Because this is funny. Yes. Um, Rudy Giuliani is being sued by his attorneys for not paying them for all of the legal work that he has needed them to do for him. Uh, this is uh, Davidoff, Hutcher, and Citron LLP. Um, they did work from him for him from 2019 through into July of this year. Uh, they billed over $1.5 million, and they say they've only been paid a bit more than $200,000, and they would like the rest of their money. This has to do with criminal investigations, Southern District of New York, Georgia, Jack Smith, 10 civil lawsuits. It's a, it's a lot of matters. It is a lot of matters. And I mean, $1.5 million is a lot of money by any measure, but it does not surprise me that he ran up a bill that big with that much uh, legal work. I mean, the Southern District of New York criminal investigation, the Georgia criminal investigation, the Jack Smith January 6th investigation, the congressional January 6th investigation, and 10 civil lawsuits. Yeah, over four years, absolutely, you can run up a $1.5 million bill. If anything, I'm a little surprised it's that low for that many varied, complex matters with high-powered attorneys doing that much work. So this number is not a shock at all. If anything is a shock, it's that they allowed him to get that deep in the hole, only have paid about 200000 out of that, uh, and let themselves get, you know, $1.3 million in the red. Well, is, is that possibly because... Robert Costello, the the lead attorney working for Giuliani on these cases, is apparently a longtime associate and personal friend of his. Yeah, I'm sure. Is that how you'd end up getting this deep into this? 
I'm sure that has something to do with it because at a law firm, you're going to need somebody basically going to bat with you with the leadership of the law firm saying, don't worry, uh, he's good for it. He'll pay sooner or later. You know, uh, look at all these political connections we get out of this. We'll get other work out of it. He'll pay. And sooner or later, you run out of juice to keep making that argument. And the law firm saying, you know, money is only going out. It's not coming in. And uh, we can't afford this. One of the things we've talked about before in these disputes between lawyers and clients is the lawyer's dilemma of do you keep sending good work after bad in hopes that you get paid? So when he hasn't paid and he keeps promising to pay, do you keep doing the work in hopes that it'll finally go right and he'll pay? Or do you stop the bleeding and stop work for them knowing that now they're less motivated to pay you? Uh, so that's that's the classic dilemma. And here, I think, you know, even after there was uh, that $100,000 a plate fundraiser for Rudy's legal fees uh, at Mar-a-Lago, apparently that only I believe, result- I believe it was at Bedminster in New Jersey, not at Mar-a-Lago. Okay. It was at one of those ritzy joints, but uh, that didn't yield a big payoff. Uh, the, the most he's paid recently was ten grand, you know, a drop in the bucket in September. So I think they saw that it was very unlikely they were going to get paid. Things keep getting worse for Rudy on all sorts of different fronts. So they, they decided they, they have to cut loose and, and demand the money. Well, I assume that one thing that you're trying to figure out when you're the law firm in this case is, is the client choosing not to pay us or is the client out of money and actually unable to pay us? Because, you know, if you if you keep throwing work at a client who's insolvent, uh, then, you know, it might not matter if the client feels favorably toward you and, and wishes that he could pay. True. But the whole concept of unable to pay has some nuance to it. So, you know, Rudy Giuliani owns properties and he's been uh, it's known he's been trying to sell one of his New York apartments, uh, which could shake loose quite a lot of money. Uh, but that doesn't mean he has it in cash. But I mean, a responsible client is going to do whatever they have to do to free up that money to pay you. But a client who just figures that he can just kind of cruise and, and keep putting you off might not do that. There's this funny quote from Rudy Giuliani in Politico about how hurt he is that Bob Costello, his longtime friend, would do this to him. He says he can't express how personally hurt he is by what Bob Costello has done. It's a real shame when lawyers do things like this. And all I will say is their bill is way in excess to anything approaching legitimate fees. Yeah. And, and I suspect what you'll see come out here, uh, because this is the classic pattern, is that they've been sending him bills. He's never objected to one. Uh, he's never said uh, wait, this is too much. Uh, there's a clause in the retainer agreement with him saying that he has to object in writing within 30 days. And this is the first time he's ever said anything about these are excessive. So that'll be the, the law firm's argument that he's just now saying it's belatedly excessive now that he decided to demand payment. But so when, when you describe here, if you decide to stop throwing good money after bad, uh, and you stop doing more work for the client, even though that makes them less inclined to pay. Clearly, they're here in court. They're hoping to get a judgment so that even if he's not willing to pay, they'll be able to get the money out of him. Does that work? Yeah, it can absolutely work. It can bring a client to the table and force them to actually 
come forward with some amount of money. It can get a judgment against them that you can then try to collect. You know, you can record against their property all over the place. You can try to garnish money they have coming in. But when you've got someone who's in as deep trouble as Rudy Giuliani is, because, you know, he's he's under RICO indictment in Georgia. He's about to face a probably catastrophic damages phase in that defamation case where he's been defaulted, uh, you know, you might be in That's line. the one brought by the two Georgia election workers who he accused of being at the center of a conspiracy to steal the election. Exactly. The one where he, you know, fucked around and found out in terms of liability. Uh, so, I mean, they may, they may realize one reason they may have chosen now is they realize they need to get early in line of creditors uh, <laughs> if they ever hope to have any piece of uh, Rudy's net worth. Speaking of that defamation lawsuit, one of the 10 civil suits that Rudy has needed representation in from this firm, um, that's going to go to trial toward the end of the year. And Judge Beryl Howell, long-suffering federal Judge Beryl Howell, I think we can say at this point. Definitely. Yes. She, uh, she'll be presiding over that, and she's ordered Rudy Giuliani to attend the trial in person, which I didn't realize you had to do. I mean, Donald Trump didn't show up for his civil lawsuit brought by E. Jean Carroll. When does the judge actually say you must attend your civil trial? Well, there are a few circumstances in which a judge might do that. One is when one of the parties serves a notice demanding that you're there so that you can be called as a witness. And a judge has the discretion to demand that you're there. And if you're not, uh, you know, it can be contempt of court. You can wind up in the federal case being uh, picked up by the marshals and brought in in their custody. Usually there's not a judicial order like this, but that's probably a reflection uh, of long-suffering judge. Howell having completely lost patience with Rudy Giuliani and his antics in this case. Continuing on this week's theme of ancillary lawsuits and proceedings about proceedings, let's talk about Hunter Biden, who is now suing the Internal Revenue Service, saying that this various information that came out about his taxes, uh, the so-called IRS whistleblowers, that they disclosed his private tax information against the law. The IRS has certain obligations to keep your tax information secret. Uh, and these disclosures violated that law, they say. And they say even, you know, even if you, you take them as whistleblowers and you take the whistleblower protections that have to do with making disclosures to Congress about things that might be happening at the IRS, they're still not Covered because they made a bunch of those disclosures at the same time to non-congressional entities that, you know, at the, at the same time that Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler uh, and their attorneys were trying to get Congress to focus on this, they were also talking to the media and that that doesn't fall under whistleblower protection. Right. So the federal tax law makes it illegal. In fact, it makes it a crime for a government employee to disclose tax returns or what's called return information. And return information is broadly defined to include all sorts of details about what's in your tax file, including whether or not the taxpayer's return is being examined or subject to other investigation or proceeding. So what uh, Hunter Biden's uh, saying in this lawsuit, and it's brought by Abby Lowell, who's 
also one of his uh, criminal attorneys, uh, is that these guys, yes, they blew the whistle and talked to Congress, but they also talked publicly. They talked on numerous news shows. They, they sent their lawyers as their agents to go talk on numerous news shows. And they disclosed all these things about the how they believe that uh, Hunter Biden didn't uh, declare income he should have. They believe he owed money some years. And details of the investigation, the criminal investigation by IRS, of his taxes. And that all of those things fall under this definition of return information that are prohibited by law to disclose. They carefully do not include the things said to Congress that would fall under the narrow whistleblower exemption. But Josh, they're basically right here. I mean, uh, these guys were disclosing things that fall under the definition of confidential information under circumstances where it's not allowed by the law. Whistleblower protections don't let you go on, you know, MSNBC. Uh, They might let you talk to an appropriate authority in a confidential context. And and so what uh, what's the remedy here if Hunter Biden is right that he's been done wrong by the IRS? So he's suing under two laws. One is one that gives you a private right of action for for IRS employees disclosing things. And then under the general federal privacy act, the remedy he's asking for is fairly modest. Uh, It's a thousand dollars per violation, which. The way these guys have been talking is probably still only in the dozens. So, you know, let's say five figures uh, for that and attorney's fees. So that's not something you're likely to go to bat for. But what I think he's really doing here is he wants information about what they've disclosed and when, because that gives him a line on what the investigation was doing, what they knew, you know, what they can tell him. So this is, in effect, a way for him to get a line on what the internal deliberation of the government was about whether or not to charge him, what they know, what they thought. And and it's also a way to throw a wrench into the ongoing prosecution of him for tax crimes and potentially to throw a wrench into any future prosecutions under a hypothetical second Trump administration. And and so the nature of that wrench is what? That they they will learn information about what the government's case looks like and that puts them in a better position to defend it? Is it that this undermines the credibility of key witnesses who would testify in those cases? How does, if he exposes that the IRS uh, and that these employees of the IRS broke IRS rules and broke federal law in the process of investigating him, how does that help him avoid criminal liability. So it definitely uh, destroys the credibility of the agents uh, who are the whistleblowers who were involved if they violated federal law, not that they were likely to be key witnesses in any prosecution. Uh, But yeah, it basically allows him to a certain extent go fishing and discovery into the government's investigation of him, which is not something you normally get to do, uh, and find out and, and get intel on what they know and what they thought and what the deliberative process was in deciding whether and how much to charge him, all those types of things. It also gives him some, some sort of leverage over uh, this whole situation, which he feels he might be able to use as a bargaining chip. So I assume if this were a lower profile case, this would be the sort of thing that might cause federal prosecutors and and the IRS to sort of think that this case is more trouble than it's worth. 
that it's very embarrassing for them. But I assume that, you know, that they can't just dispose of this because of all of the, the political pressure that has, you know, that made it impossible to complete that plea in the first place. Well, sure. If, if key agents in your federal tax investigation committed misconduct and that was going to be a problem for their credibility, then that would be definitely be something that you would consider in deciding whether or not to bring charges. I mean, there's even a possibility that uh, he could make some sort of outrageous government misconduct argument in an attempt to dismiss tax charges against him. That's a long shot, but he'll definitely take that long shot. So uh, it just dirties up the case. And, you know, federal prosecutors, they're like their cases, easy, uh, incomprehensibly strong and clean. And so uh, it's kind of a bargaining chip and, and kind of just a way to wreak a little havoc on the government side as they think about what further charges are going to be brought against him. It's also interesting to me that this is the second Hunter Biden item that sort of scrambles the politics of a major legal issue that's been before the courts. The first one is this gun charge that's somewhat oddly been brought against Hunter Biden for buying a gun and misrepresenting that he was not a cocaine addict at the time that he bought the gun. That law that that prohibits you from owning guns in those circumstances might well be unconstitutional. There's already an appellate ruling saying it was unconstitutional. Um, and so that's an, an aggressive prosecution of the sort that you tend to have conservatives be more likely to say that that's an improper thing to prosecute over. Now, here you have this issue of IRS privacy. Um, and we've had some high profile cases in recent years of IRS privacy rules being breached. There was a, a release of billionaire tax data to ProPublica. And a lot of that data is very interesting. It was also not legal for whoever released it, presumably to release it, assuming that the information had to have come from the IRS because it was on so many different people. The IRS was not supposed to release that information. You also had a release of Donald Trump's tax information. And, you know, that that I think it's also fairly likely that came from the IRS. There are more alternative possibilities of where that could have come from other than the IRS. But basically, there's been this issue where, you know, at least in the billionaire case, the IRS has, in fact, failed at its confidentiality obligations. And you're generally more likely to hear conservatives than liberals complaining about that. True. Although, you know, in, in further script flipping. Here you've got two whistleblowers who are the ones making the disclosures. So it's not the IRS institutionally making the disclosures. In fact, these are people who are criticizing the IRS institutionally and its relationship with the Department of Justice and who are definitely sort of, you know, anti-administration, uh, anti-this administration, trying to push the narrative that the administration wrongfully interfered with the investigation, as we've talked about before. So, yeah, it, it, it definitely gets people to uh, switch sides about who they might normally criticize. That's the end of this week's free episode of Serious Trouble. If you would like to hear the full episode, if you want to hear about Sam Bankman-Fried and his idiot family and the liability they may have in the bankruptcy of FTX, uh, the money that Stanford University might even have to cough up and give back to FTX creditors, and if you want to hear about Donald Trump, the pursuit of a gag order that could restrict his ability to talk about the January 6th legal case against him in Washington, D.C., and about his attorney's claim that it's really not that hard to prepare for all these cases because he hasn't done anything wrong. If you want to hear that conversation, go to Serious Trouble. Show. Upgrade for $6 a month or $60 a year. You'll get that full episode and every full episode, nearly 50 episodes a year that we put out of this show. Thanks for listening.